after his baptism, after the water ran down his face, after the heavens parted and the dove descended, after the voice declared him the beloved Son of God, the Spirit, the Spirit led and drove Jesus to the place where the wild things are. And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars, and they gnashed their terrible teeth. They rolled their terrible eyes, and they showed their terrible claws. Until Jesus said, be still, and they were frightened. They called him the most wild thing of all and made him king of all the wild things. Okay. <laughs> so maybe the story of Jesus' baptism and his temptations in the wilderness can't exactly be captured by Maurice Syntax's book, Where the Wild Things Are, but there are some resonances. In the wilderness, Jesus confronts the perceived and personified terrors of this world. And then he emerges, thanks in no small part to the angels who waited on him. Though the version changes, we read the story of Jesus' temptation during the first Sunday of Lent every year. Its place in the liturgical calendar allows us to see connections between the 40 days Jesus spends in the wilderness the 40-year wanderings of the Hebrew people after the Exodus, and the sacrament of baptism. That's a lot of layering, I know, but it's all here for us today, inviting us to witness the continuity of God's enduring faithfulness as we begin our Lenten journey. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all juxtapose Jesus' baptism to his temptation in the wilderness. In so doing, they seem to indicate that baptism and wilderness have a co-missioning effect. The same spirit that empowers Jesus through baptism expels him, literally the verb says, into the wilderness. If it can be said that the vocational identity of God's people is sourced from the waters of baptism, it seems that our vocation as cross Christ followers is not threatened by, but rather forged through the wilderness. Across the biblical tradition, the wilderness is a place of heightened vulnerability, a place of real danger, scarcity, and environmental constraints. Not only was it a place where one encountered wild things, but the very forces of death. You could lose your life in the wilderness, Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us, but you could also find it there too. We suffer the wilderness, but we are also strangely called to it and in it. We might even say that the wilderness can become a strange way to freedom. This was certainly true for Jesus' ancestors for Hagar and Moses, for Joseph and Elijah, each one found themselves in the wilds of the desert terrain for different reasons, each one dealing with different temptations. 
but each one met by God. A desert dwelling God, the wilderness could not derail. A God whose power to deliver them, to transcend the limitations of both space and time. In his book, The Inward Journey, Howard Thurman talks about a strange freedom made available to us in the midst of the wilderness experience. A freedom that was forged in him through his experience of being made anonymous and adrift in the world, his very humanity ignored because of the color of his skin. Thurman adds another layer to our wilderness equation this morning, indicating that when we truly come to know the love God has for us, even the wilderness cannot ultimately derail us either. This fortitude, he claims, is what is needed to be like God's angels, ready to meet others, like the angels met Jesus in the wilderness, in the places where our lives and the lives of others are most at risk. To be known, Thurman writes, and I quote, to be called by one's name. And remember, our ritual practice here of naming those we baptize is to find one's place and hold it, to find one's place and hold it against all the hordes of hell. This is to know one's value for one's self alone, to live a life that is one's very own, to worship a God who is one's very own. The autonomy Thurman describes is strange, isn't it? But it is this strange freedom Jesus cultivates in the desert. It is not a freedom from external constraints or the world's expectations about who you should be or what you should do or who you should love, but a cultivated sense that there are options even in the midst of real expectations, real human need, and real threats upon human life. This strange freedom, Thurman names, cannot be taken away, for it is not defined by any external circumstances, but by one's relationship to the one who calls us all beloved. This one is found most readily in the inner sanctuary of the self, our desert traditions tell us, where we are still before God. And this is the invitation of Lent I bring to you, to me, before us today, to be still before God, to stare down all the wild things, all the noises and distractions that keep us from knowing the love of God and the strange, strange freedom that comes from resting in God alone. Amen.